Section 7 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses by James Joyce. Part 2 The Odyssey. Episode 6 Hades. Part 1. Martin Cunningham first poked his silk-hatted head into the creaking carriage and, entering deftly, seated himself. Mr. Power stepped in after him, curving his height with care. "'Come on, Simon!' "'After you,' Mr. Bloom said. Mr. Dedalus covered himself quickly and got in, saying, "'Yes, yes.' "'Are we all here now?' Martin Cunningham asked. "'Come along, Bloom.' Mr. Bloom entered and sat in the vacant place. He pulled the door to after him and slammed it tight till it shut tight. He passed an arm through the arm strap and looked seriously from the open carriage window at the lowered blinds of the avenue. One dragged aside, an old woman peeping, nose white flattened against the pane. Thanking her stars, she was passed over. Extraordinary the interest they take in a corpse. Glad to see us go, we give them such trouble coming. Job seems to suit them, hug a mugger in corners, slop about in slipper-slappers for fear he'd wake, then getting it ready, laying it out, Molly and Mrs. Fleming making the bed, pull it more to your side, our winding-sheet, never know who will touch you dead, wash and shampoo, I believe they clip the nails and the hair, keep a bit in an envelope grow all the same after. Unclean job. All waited. Nothing was said. Stowing in the wreaths, probably. I'm sitting on something hard. Ah, that soap in my hip pocket. Better shift it out of that. Wait for an opportunity. All waited. Then wheels were heard from in front, turning, then nearer, then horses' hoofs. A jolt. Their carriage began to move, creaking and swaying, other hoofs and creaking wheels started behind. The blinds of the avenue passed, and number nine, with its crape knocker, door ajar, at walking pace. They waited still, their knees jogging, till they had turned and were passing along the tram-tracks. Tritonville Road, quicker. The wheels rattled, rolling over the cobbled causeway, and the crazy glasses shook, rattling in the door-frames. "'What way is he taking us?' Mr. Power asked through both windows. "'Irish Town,' Martin Cunningham said. "'Rings End, Brunswick Street.' Mr. Dedalus nodded, looking out. "'That's a fine old custom,' he said. "'I'm glad to see it has not died out.' All watched a while through their windows, caps and hats lifted by passers. Respect. The carriage swerved from the tram-track to the smoother road past Watery Lane, Mr. Bloom, at gaze, saw a lithe young man, clad in mourning, a wide hat. "'There's a friend of yours gone by, Dedalus,' he said. "'Who is that?' "'Your son and heir.' "'Where is he?' Mr. Dedalus said, stretching over across. The carriage, passing the open drains and mounds of ripped-up roadway before the tenement houses, lurched round the corner, and, swerving back to the tram-track, rolled on noisily with chattering wheels. Mr. Dedalus fell back, saying, "'Was that Mulligan cad with him, his Fidus Arcates?' "'No,' Mr. Bloom said. He was alone. 
down with his aunt sally i suppose mr dedalus said the golding faction the drunken little cost drawer and chrissy papa's little lump of dung the wise child that knows her own father mr bloom smiled joylessly on ringsend road wallace bross the bottle works dodder bridge richie golding and the legal bag golding collison ward he calls the firm his jokes are getting a bit damp great card he was waltzing in stamer street with ignatius gallagher on a sunday morning the landlady's two hats pinned on his head out on the rampage all night beginning to tell on him now that backache of his i fear wife ironing his back thinks he'll cure it with pills all breadcrumbs they are about six hundred per cent profit he's in with a low-down crowd mr dedalus snarled that mulligan is a contaminated bloody double-dyed ruffian by all accounts his name stinks all over dublin but with the help of god and his blessed mother i'll make it my business to write a letter one of those days to his mother or his aunt or whatever she is that will open her eye as wide as a gate i'll tickle his catastrophe believe you me he cried above the clatter of the wheels i won't have a bastard of a nephew ruin my son the counter-jumper's son selling tapes in my cousin peter paul mcswiney's not likely he ceased mr bloom glanced from his angry moustache to mr power's mild face and martin cunningham's eyes and beard gravely shaking noisy self-willed man full of his son he is right something to hand on if little rudy had lived see him grow up hear his voice in the house walking beside molly in an eton suit my son me in his eyes strange feeling it would be from me just a chance must have been that morning in raymond terrace she was at the window watching the two dogs at it by the wall of the cease to do evil and the sergeant grinning up she had that cream gown on with the rip she never stitched give us a touch poldy god i'm dying for it how life begins got big then had to refuse the greystones concert my son inside her i could have helped him on in life i could make him independent learn german too are we late mr power asked ten minutes martin cunningham said looking at his watch molly milly same thing watered down her tomboy oaths oh jumping jupiter ye gods and little fishes still she's a dear girl soon be a woman mullingar dearest papley young student yes yes a woman too life life the carriage heeled over and back their four trunks swaying corney might have given us a more commodious yoke mr power said he might mr dedalus said if he hadn't that squint troubling him do you follow me he closed his left eye martin cunningham began to brush away crust crumbs from under his thighs what is this he said in the name of god crumbs someone seems to have been making a picnic party here lately mr power said all raised their thighs eyed with disfavour the mildewed buttonless leather of the seats mr dedalus twisting his nose frowned downward and said unless i'm greatly mistaken what do you think martin it struck me too martin cunningham said mr bloom set his thigh down glad i took that bath feel my feet quite clean but i wish mrs fleming had darned these socks better 
Mr. Dedalus sighed resignedly. After all, he said, it's the most natural thing in the world. Did Tom Kernan turn up? Martin Cunningham asked, twirling the peak of his beard gently. Yes, Mr. Bloom answered. He's behind with Ned Lambert and Hines. And Corney Kelleher himself? Mr. Power asked. At the cemetery, Martin Cunningham said. I met McCoy this morning, Mr. Bloom said. He said he'd try to come. The carriage halted short. What's wrong? We're stopped. Where are we? Mr. Bloom put his head out of the window. The Grand Canal, he said. Gasworks. Whooping cough, they say it cures. Good job Millie never got it. Poor children. Doubles them up, black and blue in convulsions. Shame, really. Got off lightly with illness compared. Only measles. Flaxseed tea. Scarlatina. Influenza epidemics. Canvassing for death. Don't miss this chance. Dog's home over there. Poor old Athos. Be good to Athos, Leopold. Is my last wish. Thy will be done. We obey them in the grave. A dying scrawl. He took it to heart, pined away. Quiet brute. Old men's dogs usually are. A raindrop spat on his hat. He drew back and saw an instant of shower-spray dots over the grey flags. Apart. Curious like through a calendar. I thought it would. My boots were creaking. I remember now. The weather is changing, he said quietly. A pity it did not keep up fine, Martin Cunningham said. Wanted for the country, Mr. Power said. There's the sun again coming out. Mr. Dedalus, peering through his glasses towards the veiled sun, hurled a mute curse at the sky. It's as uncertain as a child's bottom, he said. We're off again. The carriage turned again its stiff wheels and their trunks swayed gently. Martin Cunningham twirled more quickly the peak of his beard. Tom Kernan was immense last night, he said, and Paddy Leonard taking him off to his face. Oh, draw him out, Martin, Mr. Power said eagerly. Wait till you hear him, Simon, on Ben Dollard singing of the croppy boy. Immense, Martin Cunningham said pompously. His singing of that simple ballad, Martin, is the most trenchant rendering I ever heard in the whole course of my experience. Trenchant, Mr. Power said, laughing. He's dead nuts on that. And the retrospective arrangement. Did you read Dan Dawson's speech? Martin Cunningham asked. I did not then, Mr. Dedalus said. Where is it? In the paper this morning. Mr. Bloom took the paper from his inside pocket. That book I must change for her. No, no, Mr. Dedalus said quickly. Later on, please. Mr. Bloom's glance travelled down the edge of the paper, scanning the deaths. Callan, Coleman, Dignam, Fawcett, Lowry, Nauman, Peak. What peak is that? Is it the chap was in Crosby and Alleyne's? No. Sexton, Erbright. Inked characters fast fading on the frayed, breaking paper. Thanks to the little flower, sadly missed, to the inexpressible grief of his, aged eighty-eight after a long and tedious illness. Months, mind. Quinlan, on whose soul sweet Jesus have mercy. It is now a month since dear Henry fled to his home up above in the sky, while his family weeps and mourns his loss, hoping some day to meet him on high. I tore up the envelope. Yes. 
Where did I put her letter after I read it in the bath? He patted his waistcoat pocket. There all right. Dear Henry fled. Before my patients are exhausted. National School. Meads Yard. The Hazard. Only two there now. Nodding. Full as a tick. Too much bone in their skulls. The other trotting round with a fare. An hour ago I was passing there. The Jarvies raised their hats. A pointsman's back straightened itself upright suddenly against a tramway standard by Mr. Bloom's window. Couldn't they invent something automatic so that the wheel itself, much handier? Well, but that fellow would lose his job then. Well, but then another fellow would get a job making the new invention. Ancient concert rooms. Nothing on there. A man in a buff suit with a crepe armlet. Not much grief there. Quarter morning. People in law, perhaps. They went past the bleak pulpit of St. Mark's, under the railway bridge, past the Queen's Theatre, in silence. Hoardings. Eugene Stratton. Mrs. Bandman Palmer. Could I go to see Leah tonight, I wonder? I said I. Or the Lily of Killarney. Elster Grimes, Opera Company. Big, powerful change. Wet, bright bills for next week. Fun on the Bristol. Martin Cunningham could work a pass for the gaiety. Have to stand a drink or two. As broad as it's long. He's coming in the afternoon. Her songs. Plastos. Sir Philip Crampton's Memorial Fountain Bust. Who was he? How do you do, Martin Cunningham said, raising his palm to his brow in salute. He doesn't see us, Mr. Power said. Yes, he does. How do you do? Who? Mr. Deedless asked. Blazes Boylan, Mr. Power said. There he is, airing his quiff. Just that moment I was thinking, Mr. Deedless bent across to salute. From the door of the red bank, the white disc of a straw hat flashed reply. Passed. Mr. Bloom reviewed the nails of his left hand, then those of his right hand. The nails, yes. Is there anything more in him that they, she sees? Fascination. Worst man in Dublin. That keeps him alive. They sometimes feel what a person is. Instinct. But a type like that. My nails. I'm just looking at them. Well paired. And after, thinking alone. Body getting a bit softy. I would notice that from remembering. What causes that? I suppose the skin can't contract quickly enough when the flesh falls off. But the shape is there. The shape is there still. Shoulders, hips, plump. Night of the dance, dressing. Shift stuck between the cheeks behind. He clasped his hands between his knees and, satisfied, sent his vacant glance over their faces. Mr. Power asked, How is the concert tour getting on, Bloom? Oh, very well, Mr. Bloom said. I hear great accounts of it. It's a good idea, you see. Are you going yourself? Well, no, Mr. Bloom said. In point of fact, I have to go down to the County Clare on some private business. You see, the idea is to tour the chief towns. What you lose on one, you can make up on the other. Quite so, Martin Cunningham said. Mary Anderson is up there now. Have you good artists? Lewis Werner is touring her, Mr. Bloom said. Oh yes, we'll have all the top nobbers. J.C. Doyle and John McCormack, I hope, and the best, in fact. And Madame, Mr. Power said, smiling, last but not least. 
Mr. Bloom unclasped his hands in a gesture of soft politeness, and clasped them. Smith O'Brien. Someone has laid a bunch of flowers there. Woman. Must be his death day. For many happy returns. The carriage, wheeling by Farrell's statue, united noiselessly their unresisting knees. Oot! A dull-garbed old man from the curbstone tenders his wares, his mouth open. Oot! Four bootlaces for a penny. Wonder why he was struck off the rolls. Had his office in Hume Street, same house as Molly's namesake, Tweedy, Crown Solicitor for Waterford. Has that silk hat ever since. Relics of old decency. Morning, too. Terrible come-down, poor wretch. Kicked about like snuff at a wake. O'Callaghan on his last legs. And madame? Twenty past eleven. Up. Mrs. Fleming is into clean, doing her hair, humming. Voglio e non vorrei. No, vorrei e non... Looking at the tips of her hairs to see if they are split. Mi trema un poco il... Beautiful on that tre, her voice is. Weeping tone. A thrust. A throstle. There is a word throstle that expressed that. His eyes passed lightly over Mr. Power's good-looking face. Grayish over the ears. Madame, smiling. I smiled back. Smile goes a long way. Only politeness, perhaps. Nice fellow. Who knows? Is that true about the woman he keeps? Not pleasant for the wife. Yet they say, who was it told me? There is no carnal. You would imagine that would get played out pretty quick. Yes, it was Crofton met him one evening, bringing her a pound of rump steak. What is this she was? Barmaid in juries. Or the Moira, was it? They passed under the huge-cloaked liberator's form. Martin Cunningham nudged Mr. Power. Of the tribe of Reuben, he said. A tall, black-bearded figure, bent on a stick, stumping round the corner of Elvery's elephant house, showed them a curved hand open on his spine. In all his pristine beauty, Mr. Power said. Mr. Dedalus looked after the stumping figure and said mildly, the devil break the hasp of your back. Mr. Power, collapsing in laughter, shaded his face from the window as the carriage passed Gray's statue. We've all been there, Martin Cunningham said broadly. His eyes met Mr. Bloom's eyes. He caressed his beard, adding, well, nearly all of us. Mr. Bloom began to speak with a sudden eagerness to his companions' faces. That's an awfully good one that's going the rounds about Reuben Jay and the Sun. About the boatman? Mr. Power asked. Yes, isn't it awfully good? What is that? Mr. Deedless asked. I didn't hear it. There was a girl in the case, Mr. Bloom began, and he determined to send him to the Isle of Man out of harm's way, but when they were both... What? Mr. Deedless asked. That confirmed bloody hobbledy-hoy, is it? Yes, Mr. Bloom said. They were both on the way to the boat, and he tried to drown... Drown Barabbas, Mr. Deedless cried. I wish to Christ he did. Mr. Power sent a long laugh down his shaded nostrils. No, Mr. Bloom said, the son himself. Martin Cunningham thwarted his speech rudely. Reuben Jay and the son were piking it down the quay next the river on their way to the Isle of Man boat, and the young chiseller suddenly got loose and over the wall with him into the liffey. For God's sake, Mr. Deedless exclaimed in fright, is he dead? 
dead martin cunningham cried not he the boatman got a pole and fished him out by the slack of the breeches and he was landed up to the father on the quay more dead than alive half the town was there yes mr bloom said but the funny part is and reuben j martin cunningham said gave the boatman a florin for saving his son's life a stifled sigh came from under mr power's hand oh he did martin cunningham affirmed like a hero a silver florin isn't it awfully good mr bloom said eagerly one and eightpence too much mr dedalus said dryly mr power's choked laugh burst quietly in the carriage nelson's pillar eight plums a penny eight for a penny we had better look a little serious martin cunningham said mr dedalus sighed and then indeed he said poor little paddy wouldn't grudge us a laugh many a good one he told himself the lord forgive me mr power said wiping his wet eyes with his fingers poor paddy i little thought a week ago when i saw him last and he was in his usual health that i'd be driving after him like this he's gone from us as decent a little man as ever wore a hat mr dedalus said he went very suddenly breakdown martin cunningham said heart he tapped his chest sadly blazing face red hot too much john barleycorn cure for a red nose drink like the devil till it turns adelite a lot of money he spent colouring it mr power gazed at the passing houses with rueful apprehension he had a sudden death poor fellow he said the best death mr bloom said their wide open eyes looked at him no suffering he said a moment and all is over like dying in sleep no one spoke dead side of the street this dull business by day land agents temperance hotel falconer's railway guide civil service college gills catholic club the industrious blind why some reason sun or wind at night too chummies and slavies under the patronage of the late father matthew foundation stone for parnell breakdown heart white horses with white front-lit plumes came round the rotunda corner galloping a tiny coffin flashed by in a hurry to bury a mourning coach unmarried black for the married piebald for bachelors done for a nun sad martin cunningham said a child a dwarf's face mauve and wrinkled like little rudy's was dwarf's body weak as putty in a white lined deal box burial friendly society pays penny a week for a sod of turf hour little beggar baby meant nothing mistake of nature if it's healthy it's from the mother if not the man better luck next time poor little thing mr dedalus said it's well out of it the carriage climbed more slowly the hill of rutland square rattle his bones over the stones only a pauper nobody owns in the midst of life martin cunningham said but the worst of all mr power said is the man who takes his own life martin cunningham drew out his watch briskly coughed and put it back the greatest disgrace to have in the family mr power added temporary insanity of course martin cunningham said decisively we must take a charitable view of it they say a man who does it is a coward mr dedalus said it is not for us to judge martin cunningham said 
Mr. Bloom, about to speak, closed his lips again, Martin Cunningham's large eyes, looking away now. Sympathetic human man he is, intelligent, like Shakespeare's face. Always a good word to say. They have no mercy on that here, or infanticide. Refuse Christian burial. They used to drive a stake of wood through his heart in the grave, as if it wasn't broken already. Yet sometimes they repent too late, found in the riverbed, clutching rushes. He looked at me, and that awful drunkard of a wife of his, setting up house for her time after time, and then pawning the furniture on him every Saturday almost, leading him the life of the damned. Wear the heart out of a stone, that. Monday morning, start afresh, shoulder to the wheel. Lord, she must have looked a sight that night. Deedless told me he was in there, drunk about the place and capering with Martin's umbrella. And they call me the jewel of Asia, of Asia, the geisha. He looked away from me. He knows. Rattle his bones. That afternoon of the inquest, the red-labelled bottle on the table, the room in the hotel with hunting pictures, stuffy it was. Sunlight through the slats of the Venetian blinds, the coroner's ears, big and hairy, boots giving evidence. Thought he was asleep first, then saw like yellow streaks on his face. Had slipped down to the foot of the bed. Verdict, overdose. Death by misadventure, the letter, for my son, Leopold. No more pain, wait no more, nobody owns. The carriage rattled swiftly along Blessington Street, over the stones. We are going the pace, I think, Martin Cunningham said. God grant he doesn't upset us on the road, Mr. Power said. Well, I hope not, Martin Cunningham said. That will be a great race tomorrow in Germany, the Gordon Bennett. Yes, by Jove, Mr. Dedalus said. That will be worth seeing, faith. As they turned into Barclay Street, a street organ near the basin sent over and after them a rollicking, rattling song of the halls. Has anybody here seen Kelly? K-E-L-L-Y. Dead march from Saul. He's as bad as old Antonio. Left me on my ownio. Pirouette. The Mater Misericordiae. Eccles Street. My house down there. Big place. Ward for incurables there. Very encouraging. Our Lady's Hospice for the dying. Dead house handy underneath. Where old Mrs. Riordan died. They looked terrible, the women. Her feeding cup and rubbing her mouth with the spoon. Then the screen round her bed for her to die. Nice young student that was dressed that bite the bee gave me. He's gone over to the lying-in hospital, they told me. From one extreme to the other. The carriage galloped round the corner, stopped. What's wrong now? A divided drove of branded cattle passed the windows, lowing, slouching by on padded hoofs, whisking their tails slowly on their clotted bony croups. Outside them and through them ran rattled sheep, bleating their fear. Emigrants, Mr. Powell said. Ah! the drover's voice cried, his switch sounding on their flanks. Ah! Out of that! Thursday, of course. Tomorrow is killing day. Springers. Cuff sold them about twenty-seven quid each. For Liverpool, probably. Roast beef for old England. They buy up all the juicy ones. And then the fifth quarter is lost. All that raw stuff. Hide, hair, horns. Comes to a big things in a year. Dead meat trade. Buy products of the slaughterhouse for tanneries, soap, margarine. 
wonder if that dodge works now, getting dicky meat off the train at Clonsilla. The carriage moved on through the drove. I can't make out why the corporation doesn't run a tram line from the park gate to the quays, Mr. Bloom said. All those animals could be taken in trucks down to the boats. Instead of blocking up the thoroughfare, Martin Cunningham said, quite right, they ought to. Yes, Mr. Bloom said, and another thing I often thought is to have municipal funeral trams like they have in Milan, you know, run the line out to the cemetery gates and have special trams, hearse and carriage and all. Don't you see what I mean? Oh, that be damned for a story, Mr. Deedless said. Pullman car and saloon dining room. A poor lookout for Corney, Mr. Power added. Why, Mr. Bloom asked, turning to Mr. Deedless. Wouldn't it be more decent than galloping two abreast? Well, there's something in that, Mr. Deedless granted. And, Martin Cunningham said, we wouldn't have scenes like that when the hearse capsized round Dumphy's and upset the coffin onto the road. That was terrible, Mr. Power's shocked face said, and the corpse fell about the road. Terrible! First round Dumphy's, Mr. Deedless said, nodding. Gordon Bennett Cup. Praises be to God. Martin Cunningham said piously. Bulmer upset. A coffin bumped out onto the road, burst open. Paddy Dignam shot out and rolling over, stiff in the dust, in a brown habit too large for him. Red face, grey now. Mouth fallen open, asking, what's up now? Quite right to close it. Looks horrid open. Then the insides decompose quickly. Much better to close up all the orifices. Yes, also, with wax. The sphincter loose. Seal up all. Dumphy's, Mr. Power announced as the carriage turned right. Dumphy's corner. Morning coaches drawn up, drowning their grief. A pause by the wayside. Tip-top position for a pub. Expect we'll pull up here on the way back to drink his health. Pass round the consolation. Elixir of life. But suppose now it did happen. Would he bleed if a nail, say, cut him in the knocking about? He would, and he wouldn't, I suppose. Depends on where. The circulation stops. Still, some might ooze out of an artery. It would be better to bury them in red. A dark red. In silence they drove along Fibsborough Road. An empty hearse trotted by, coming from the cemetery. Looks relieved. Crossguns Bridge, the Royal Canal. Water rushed, roaring through the sluices. A man stood on his dropping barge between clamps of turf. On the towpath by the lock, a slag-tethered horse, aboard of the bugaboo. Their eyes watched him. On the slow, weedy waterway, he had floated on his raft coastward over Ireland, drawn by a haulage rope past beds of reeds, over slime, mud-choked bottles, carrion dogs. Athlone, Mullingar, Moy Valley. I could make a walking tour to see Millie by the canal, or cycle down. Hire some old crock. Safety. Wren had one the other day at the auction for the ladies. Developing waterways. James McCann's hobby to row me o'er the ferry. Cheaper transit. By easy stages. Houseboats. Camping out. Also hearses. To heaven by water. Perhaps I will without writing. Come as a surprise. Link slip. Clonsilla. Dropping down lot by lot to Dublin. With turf from the Midland bogs. Salute! He lifted his brown straw hat, saluting Paddy Dignam. They drove on past Brian Boru's house. Near it now. 
I wonder how is our friend Fogarty getting on, Mr. Power said. Better ask Tom Kernan, Mr. Dedalus said. How is that? Martin Cunningham said. Left him weeping, I suppose. Though lost to sight, Mr. Dedalus said. To memory, dear. The carriage steered left for Finglass Road. The stonecutter's yard on the right. Last lap. Crowded on the spit of land, silent shapes appeared, white, sorrowful, holding out calm hands, knelt in grief, pointing, fragments of shapes, hewn, in white silence, appealing, the best obtainable. Thomas H. Denany, monumental builder and sculptor. Past. On the curbstone before Jimmy Geary, the sextons, an old tramp sat, grumbling, emptying the dirt and stones out of his huge, dust-brown, yawning boot, after a life's journey. Gloomy gardens then went by, one by one, gloomy houses. Mr. Power pointed. That is where Charles was murdered, he said, the last house. So it is, Mr. Dedalus said, a gruesome case. Seymour Bush got him off, murdered his brother, or so they said. The Crown had no evidence, Mr. Power said. Only circumstantial, Martin Cunningham said. That's the maxim of the law. Better for ninety-nine guilty to escape than for one innocent person to be wrongfully condemned. They looked. Murderer's ground. It passed darkly. Shattered, tenantless, unweeded garden. Whole place gone to hell. Wrongfully condemned. Murder. The murderer's image in the eye of the murdered. I love reading about it. Man's head found in a garden. Her clothing consisted of how she met her death, recent outrage, the weapon used, murderer is still at large, clues, a shoelace, the body to be exhumed, murder will out. Cramped in this carriage, she mightn't like me to come that way without letting her know. Must be careful about women. Catch them once with their pants down, never forgive you after. Fifteen. The high railings of prospects rippled past their gaze. Dark poplars, rare white forms, forms more frequent, white shapes thronged amid the trees, white forms and fragments streaming by mutely, sustaining vain gestures on the air. The felly harshed against the curbstone, stopped. Martin Cunningham put out his arm and, wrenching back the handle, shoved the door open with his knee. He stepped out. Mr. Power and Mr. Dedalus followed. Change that soap now. Mr. Bloom's hand unbuttoned his hip pocket swiftly and transferred the paper-stuck soap to his inner handkerchief pocket. He stepped out of the carriage, replacing the newspaper his other hand still held. Poultry funeral, coach and three carriages. It's all the same. Pallbearers, gold reins, requiem mass, firing a volley, pomp of death. Behind the hind carriage a hawker stood by his barrow of cakes and fruit. Simnel cakes, those are, stuck together, cakes for the dead. Dog biscuits. Who ate them? Mourners coming out. He followed his companions. Mr. Kernan and Ned Lambert followed. Hines walking after them. Corney Kelleher stood by the opened hearse and took out the two wreaths. He handed one to the boy. Where is that child's funeral disappeared to? The team of horses passed from Finglass with toiling, plodding tread, dragging through the funereal silence a creaking wagon on which lay a granite block. The wagoner marching at their head saluted. Coffin now. Got here before us. Dead as he is. 
horse looking round at it with his plume skew-ways dull eye collar tight on his neck pressing on a blood vessel or something but they know what they cart out here every day must be twenty or thirty funerals every day then mount jerome for the protestants funerals all over the world everywhere every minute shovelling them under by the cartload double quick thousands every hour too many in the world End of section seven